Welcome one, welcome all, welcome to another episode of Fan Team Radio. I'm your host, Shyam Khan, joined as always by my co-host, Chris Odi Odorizzi. Chris, what's up? Hey, Shyam. Man, what a race. Austria. I love this what track. What a race. Yeah, it was great. Um, Actually, really interesting spurt weekend. Uh, Give a couple track details real quick. Um, First Grand Prix, 1970. Pretty cool. Uh, Fan favorite track, Red Bull Ring, now owned by Red Bull, which is great. Circuit length is about 4.3 kilometers, or otherwise 2.7 miles. We had 71 laps. Um, and yeah, what a what a crazy race. Uh, overall, great weekend. Um, but, you know, I think this was uh, Max Verstappen's first blunder, you know. It just didn't seem to come together for him this weekend. Uh, you know. You know, uh, P1 didn't seem to come together all that know, well for him. P- that, P- that, if that's any indicator of how Red Bull's uh, or Max's season's going right now. Listen, I mean, I, he had P1 in practice. He had P1 in the sprint shootout, P1 in the sprint, P1 in quality, and P1 in the race. But, you know, that's expected. Like, Max is expected to put up those kind of numbers, the shootout across the race. But crazy stat. And when I heard this... uh I heard this from uh, another F1 uh, podcaster on Instagram, I believe. Uh, after Miami, in lap 48, when he passed Sergio Perez, which was back in May two months ago, Max Verstappen has led every single lap since lap 48 in Miami until lap uh, six, uh, 25? 25, yeah, and, lap 25, and, when he pitted for hards. Yeah, so including pits... In Monaco, Spain, and Canada, he never, ever not let a lap. And I thought that that stat was absolutely mind-boggling, which means he always had a pit delta in front of him um, in every single race to be able to pit freely and keep the lead, which is just – I I think we're getting into a little bit of uh, Christian Horner sweating on the brow of, like, we're going to get canceled, bro, because I think this happened to Mercedes a few years when they were in their ultimate – dominant era where the FAA changed some regulations to sort of stop their ultra dominance. And I think when Max does things like he did on the last lap of this race, where he, they were like, we don't need to hit. We're good. Like just take it in. And he's like, I prefer to box. And he just like went into the pits, put on softs, comes out three seconds ahead of Charles. And is just sitting there weaving down the road, warming up his tires with second place right behind him. Like he's like not even there. And I just like it also doesn't hurt when your pit crew averages a, a stop time of like 2.5 seconds. 100 percent. But, you know, there's always like the the boat toss in Monaco issue where the gun jams and they can't get the tire off. And, you know, random things have happened in the pits before. And it doesn't it doesn't seem to even cross his mind that there's a concern. There's an issue. Um, you know, I think the man's going for maximum points. Uh, going for the record of most points in a season, but yeah, what a what an ultra dominant performance! And uh, you know, we talk about him every week, but um, I don't even know what to say about it, this anymore. Other than I hope that they take every race, every race for the rest of the year, just because. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Max's dominance this year cannot be. I guess at this point, understated or overstated. I guess he's just kind of left us in the dust of the audience as well. Um, hard to tell what the hell he's up to since the cameras are rarely ever on him. But right. a 23 second Delta, I mean, I, I see where he's coming from, you know, with that Kobe mentality, he wants it all and he wants to make sure he has a pristine season. And 
you know, it's it's up for grabs that one second. It it doesn't really do that much of a difference in terms of championship or constructors cup, but you know, that's just the stamp that he wants to put on the sport is, you know, more of a Fernando Alonso, Michael Schumacher kind of, you know, moniker, but it's, it was a great race for Max. It was exciting to see, you know, Charles, I think was in the lead for 10 laps after uh, Max uh, pitted for hard. So that was, you know, a little bit of a excitement that, that we haven't had all season. And I was, uh, I was glad to see it. Uh, Another side of the Red Bull coin is Checo. So, you know, qualifying was not his, um, uh, it was, it wasn't his qualifying week this week, right? He started or, in P15. I mean, he hasn't had a good qualifying in what, four or five races in a row now? He's been failed to miss Q3, uh, quite a few times. It's, uh, a little concerning, but, you know, he backed it up a little bit for this race. Yeah. You know, it, I think it's worth kind of noting his, his, race journey to the top you know starting at p15 he he immediately took up two places in the first five laps um and then you know even after max set the fastest lap he's able to weave through pass through george fight out against hamilton in lap 22 um you know he's fighting with george again after a couple of pits for p8 and then he's moving his way back up to p5 in lap 42 um you know he makes his way into p3 at a certain point uh, and starts fighting with, uh, you know, uh, with signs. And it was really great to see that, that back and forth. Signs had a, another incredible drive. It just wasn't enough to get past the Red Bull. And then at the end, you know, in lap 62, finally overtake signs with the, with the DRS. So uh, really great, especially considering all the track limits and penalties that have been going on in uh, this week, uh, for him to have such a clean drive in, in the actual race and get through all those cars and make the moves that he did uh, without incurring any, you know, any penalties. I thought it was a really brilliant drive. Granted, he does have a rocket ship that he's, he's strapped to, but you know, I used to give kudos to, to Lewis whenever he pulled the same kind of things back in Brazil in 2020 and, and I'll give Perez his, his, uh, his uh, due as well. So I think a great race from Checo, um, not strong qualifying. I hope it's not something that persists with him, uh, but definitely, you know, was able to kind of take on take take his own kind of destiny in his in his hands in this race. Yeah, I think this was really good for his confidence boost, uh, especially even starting out in the sprint race when he got a better start than Max, passed him uh, off the straight into turn one, had a little potential issue with him going down uh, up to turn two where he kind of pushed Max off the road, but the visibility was poor. But yeah, like he definitely showed. Uh, his racecraft is back and he's ready to compete. Um, and to be able to go from P15 to the podium is quite a feat on any racetrack, especially one like Austria, where it's like so short, it's so fast, um, a lot of potential, uh, air like potential for errors and going off track. We'll talk more about going off track a little bit later, but yeah, what, what a great race from Checo. And I think we'll see a little bit more of him back to form ultimately, unless there's a disaster. I think it's a little bit too late for him to go back to thinking about the championship, but I think we'll see a solid Checo at least a few more times throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. Good stuff from him. I think he left Christian Horner with a good taste in his mouth. Um, so let's talk about uh, who split the the Red Bulls. Uh, Ferrari had a really good race, all things considered this week. Uh, what, were, what were your thoughts on Ferrari, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it was great. Um, Carlos looked a little bit back to form as well. I think the the announcers talked to, about 
him showing a little bit back to form, like like Silverstone last year when he won. There was a lot of great racecraft from him. You know, him, him versus Perez was really fun to watch. Um, I ultimately <clears throat> Ferrari for me showed a little bit of their their issues with the whole double stack and taking Carlos out of, you know, I think he was in P3 at the time and, uh, you know, gets shuffled behind Lando and Hamilton coming out of the pits because of the slow pit stop plus the double stack. So ultimately I think they could have done a little bit better. And I also questioned uh, not letting Carlos buy Charles just because it did look like he was going a little quicker at the time. Granted he had DRS, but you know, let let Carlos go by, see if he can get some pace, you know, to approach the Red Bulls, approach Hamilton and all that. And then if not, just swap him back. But and this is a little difficult um to under like to put together, but you know, maybe swapping DRS behind each other and you could kind of maybe slingshot your way forward a little bit. I don't know how well that would work, but I thought it was at least worth an experiment because Carlos was definitely putting the pressure. Um, but Ferrari was just like, nope, no attack, don't attack. And I, I would like to have let them race and see what could have been. Yeah, I think when you when the you know when you look at the standings at the end, it looks like you know Charles had a way better race. But I actually think that Signs put in a lot of the work to to keep his position and to regain his position despite kind of you know the. I would, you know, snafus of the of the strategies that his his uh, that his team put forward. So if we were to chronicle uh, Carlos's race, you know, he started in P three, uh, and by lap nine, he's already telling his engineers he has faster pace than Charles, which they kind of don't really respond to in in a way that's very concrete. They just kind of let him fight it out a little bit. Um, he by lap fourteen, he's requesting a fight for Ma- for Max, uh, which I thought was a little bit ambitious because Max had a five second delta by then and it was only growing. Um, and then by lap seventeen, you can really hear him, you know, get frustrated. Uh, why they didn't let him stay out after the virtual safety car that that made you know they were lucky enough to to be able to get in because the virtual safety car stayed active for I think two or three laps. So, but Carlos was like, you know, why? Why'd you put me in that position? Why didn't you just let me stay out there? My, you know, my tires were good enough. I, I, I had great pace. Uh, but you know, the, the, the good thing that came out of that is he sets the fastest lap immediately in lap eighteen after that pit, um, and then he's able to squeeze by Hamilton. Uh, you know, he overtakes Perez into into P three in lap twenty, but and sets an, uh, again sets the fastest lap. Uh, and then he momentarily gains position on Max by lap 26. So it looks like he's having a really great race, right? And then he has to serve a five-second penalty for his track limits in, in lap 29. Um, then again, he's, 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 he's back in it. He's performing in lap 47, passes by Norris. Norris kind of gives him a gentlemanly you know, window to go by, I think, they have a good history together. So Norris doesn't really fight him too hard on that. And then that brilliant battle against Checo in lap 59, where they're kind of going back and forth through the switches and it uh, so fun to see. And then eventually he has to kind of, you know, concede to, um, to, to Checo in lap 62, but something that was interesting, Chris, and I'd love to hear your thoughts is the radio uh, messaging uh, between, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, between the the team and the drivers started kind of, you know, early on in lap 14 signs is requesting to fight for max expressing his uh, frustrations. 
And then in lap 33, Ferrari reaches out to Charles and asks, do you want to, what do you think about three stops? And <laughs> Charles is essentially like, no, no. Like he just says two no's and then goes silent. Do you think this is a better way of them communicating, uh, Chris? Like just, just more blunt and direct, even if it seems a little bit rude. Do you yeah. think this is better for them? <clears throat> I mean, this is <clears throat> for me. This is exactly where Ferrari is lacking. Um, yeah, I, I, I probably should go back and listen to a lot of other team radios, like for the entirety of the race, and see how they operate. But Ferrari just seems to be disjointed and in constant disagreement with their drivers. And when you have someone buttoned up like Red Bull, and you have like Hannah, the street strategist. And like all the people back in Milton Keynes and the factory, they have so much more data than the drivers do. The drivers have the, the feel of the track, what the tires look like, any kind of issues with the car, how it's feeling, if it's slippery. But every other piece of data, what other what the other teams are doing, um, how the car's performing from a technical standpoint, lap times, everything is at the hands of all these people. And for the drivers at Ferrari to constantly feel and seem like they know more about the situation every time. And the engineers at Ferrari to constantly saying, what do you think? Or like, they always seem to be second guessing themselves and they don't really know what to do. And I think that this is their, where they're lacking and they shouldn't be requesting fights for max. They shouldn't be requesting extra pit stops and all this kind of stuff from the drivers. It should be, or the, the driver should be doing that to the team. The, the team should be telling them what is the optimal strategy. And if the driver wants to fight back about something, because maybe they know something the team doesn't from a personal standpoint, great. But the team should basically be like, this is what you should do. And more often than not, they're just constantly butting heads. And it's almost comical to keep listening to, because you know, it's going to happen every race. The signs like berating the team over the radio. And now Charles seems to be picking up a little bit of the sass from signs. Um, but yeah, I definitely think if they want to constantly get podiums and fight for wins, they're going to have to figure this out. Yeah, there's a point. I forgot what the radio communication was, but I think it was just an informative thing that the engineers were telling Carlos. And he sounded like a freaking robot. Even David Coulthard and, and uh, Julian Palmer were like, they, they made fun of him. They're like, Does, is that a computer generated voice? And and what I mean by that, in stark contrast to... to <laughs> In stark contrast, you know, uh, McLaren, when they're radioing into Lando, they it's a really personal note. They're like, Lando, you're going to hate me for saying this, but you have to stay on track. Like, they, they know Lando, Land, and Lando respected that. He's like, all right, like, I get it. Like, the way that you deliver that message to me. And even when Toto was, like, doing damage control with, with Lewis, like, it was like, Lewis, I know the car is bad. Please keep driving it. It's it's on the basis of human interaction. Right. I don't think for I'll put it this way. I don't think Carlos signs and Charles go out and grab like like drinks with their engineers or like you know espressos. Like I don't think they do that. Uh, I think there's a there's a there's a basic humanness that's lost between the communication with the engineers and and, and the drivers at Ferrari. It's almost like like they're trying to maintain a a, a separation like you know whereas other teams are really going leaning into like the driver engineering relationship so i don't know it's you can 
you can hear it in in the in the in the communication between the drivers and the engineers but i guess the drivers have picked up on it as well and now they're essentially just short you know curt and 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 to the point and and you know i i think they were able to get a decent result out of it today i don't know if it's due strictly to the communication or the drivers taking a little bit more uh um you know, being a little bit more autonomous with what they're able to do out there, but I guess we'll see in the next in the next couple of races if this is something that uh, that continues for them. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely tell like Lewis and Bono have a history, and you know Max and uh, Giampiero, and uh, like even Valtteri and and James back in the day. Like you can tell that these guys have a long history together, and they sort of understand each other and get each other, and they may have disagreements or. <clears throat> They, you know, they they may determine to go different ways, but they definitely know each other. They know how to talk to each other. They know how to interact with one another to sort of like get results out of that. And like you said, the Ferrari engineers just seem very robotic, um, you know, not on the same page with these drivers. And these guys have been there for a while now. So you feel like that they should have that kind of relationship, but they don't. So uh, listen, I think Ferrari either needs... Uh, changes behind the scenes or the drivers are going to make changes themselves and so i think that's ultimately where we're going to go yeah well let's uh let's not take stick too much on ferrari or we might give them good luck um <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about these track limits and the penalties uh <clears throat> th- this race chris it's, it's uh, it looks about about nine drivers had some sort of penalty attached to their name mostly due to uh track limits what what were you if you were to well, first of all, I'd love to get you your thoughts on Austria, the track limits, and then how it's kind of a, the nature of the track, if you think it needs to be changed. And then I'd love to get your thoughts on which of these are the most egregious uh, penalties that you saw from from all nine drivers. Well, listen, uh, I think that, um, you know how we talked before about the stewards and how they're, you know, they need a p- more permanent stewards and they're constantly just getting one-offs for tracks. I don't know if you looked at the list of stewards, but... It was Oprah Winfrey up in there just giving track limits out to everybody. You get a penalty. You get a penalty. You get a penalty. Wait, and, seriously? Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> Oh, no. I was like, man, no. I must have missed that. No, no, no. It's just uh, these track violations and were everywhere. And um, so this is a complicated issue because I'm kind of with the FIA and the swords on this. Like, uh, I'm glad that they're sort of cracking down on the rule set and making things standard like we discussed earlier on in the season you know, being more consistent. And so, yeah, if you're going over the white lines and you're breaking the rules, you're going to get a penalty. However, you know, when a track is designed in such a way that lends itself to this many uh, potential penalties, I think something needs to change. Um, Not only because I think it takes a little bit of um, integrity away from the sport when we're constantly having things like results determined hours after the race. And we're also um just constantly having lots of penalties during the race and you're just sort of like not watching just actual on track action and it's more of like who's getting the least amount of penalties so you know i think uh, i read somewhere that the faa had asked red bull to install gravel pits at the exits of the turns which you know will change the way the drivers perform and drive because if you go into the gravel you can get beached you're done you're going to lose a lot more time and so they'll make sure that they don't go over the white lines. So I'm not sure what the thought process is here about not making those changes. 
or not doing something a little bit different, making it a little wider. Because ultimately, like, as interesting as it is and watching drivers take it to the limit, uh, if, if that many drivers are constantly going off, then the track is a little bit problematic. Yeah, I, I'm right on there uh, on par with you. I think nine, you have 20 drivers and nine of them are incurring, you know, track limit uh, penalties. That's almost half the, the grid. You know, I think when it's at a certain percentage of the grid, then you do have to take a look at the, the grid itself and see if there are adjustments that you need to make. I think this grid, and this is just me kind of, this is like my third year watching this uh, races on this grid. So what I've seen is, it's a grid that's meant to you're able to go fast it's a shorter grid but the turns are you know they're they require you to break a little bit earlier to be able to maintain that same pace but to be able to hit uh the apex and and not go over track limits i mean lando did it checo did it so it's not to say it can't be done but i'm starting to wonder if with the amount of cars on the track and given their width, if this track is inherently going to guarantee people go, you know, off track limits. And if that's the case, then they need to, I think they need to take another look at expanding some of those, uh, those turns or making a little bit wider. So it's not a guarantee that one of those cars is going to, you know, you can get every single car in on pace and, and in track limits um and and everyone has a chance you know like i think the way that it's just structured you're either gonna have to give up a lot of positions and not you know get the penalty and just hope someone else gets it and keep calling them out on it which is super annoying to hear on the radio or you know you let them fight it in an open amount of space and if they end up going off track then you know like that's that's on the driver's decision i don't i don't think it's a driver's decision decision yeah, I don't think it's the driver's decision at in certain points. I think there, you you know, you saw a couple of drivers go off track and being forced off track, and you know, I just think that when yeah, like like you said, when when the majority of the field is incurring these kinds of uh, uh, track limit, you know, penalties, you should take another look at it and see what you can do to adjust that track. I mean, Esteban Ocon set the record for the most penalties in a race, and which we didn't think would be possible after, you know, all the penalty incurred at Bahrain this year. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton, plus 15 seconds. Carl Sainz, plus 15 seconds. Esteban, plus 35 seconds. Nick DeVries, plus 20. Alex, 15. Yuki, 20. Pierre, 15. Logan, 15. These are not just, you know, one off. Everyone getting. These are multiple infringements on half the grid. And... This is one of my favorite tracks. I love this track, and I don't want the expectation going into next year to be like, oh, we won't even know the results of this race until after, until they count up the penalties. You know, I I still like the spirit of, like, enforcing the rules, and I don't want them to change any of that. But I definitely think maybe there could be some adjustments made either to the cars or to the tracks, add a gravel trap, whatever needs to happen, you know, just make it a little bit better because... This was a little crazy, and I don't. If you heard the after the track or after the race team radio on Alpine's engineers to Esteban, they were like, "Oh man, a lot of people got penalties, but you kept it. <laughs> you you got you didn't get any penalties. Good job, Esteban!" And then all of a sudden, boom, 
slammed with tons of penalties post race. Just you know, it's a little, a little embarrassing, and then for everybody, and it's a little, you know, we're tired of the Abu Dhabi situation of just figuring out what's going to happen hours or days or whatever later. Like in rare occurrences, sure, but most of the time, I want when the checkered flag flies for that to be the result. So, well, hopefully that they'll figure a way to button this up for next year. But man, what a what a crazy penalty race. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it does take away a little bit from and and just hearing uh everyone tattletale on each other just it 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 also took some integrity away from the drivers. Like listening to Lewis just become like essentially a 17-year-old kind of just complaining about like his classmates essentially. Yeah. It it you know, it it that's not the Lewis Hamilton I really want to see, you know. I want to see a Lewis Hamilton who, you know, if he's frustrated it's for for for, for for probably a little bit more uh, malignant reasons, you know, not just because someone's going off track in front of him and he's having to, you know, spew out his own frustrations. And and and, and then Lando, I, you already know that, you know, my thoughts on Lando. Uh, but, you know, it, it was just, I think it takes away from, from the actual sport itself. So I'm looking forward to seeing if they make any kind of changes to this track. But, um, you know, knowing the FIA, I, I, I doubt that they will. Um, so I want to add one more by the way, I'll it'll I'll never get over the fact that these guys are going 200 miles an hour plus high speed turns, potential for like massive crashes on a tight track, and they have the ability to just have these like casual nonchalant conversations over team radio. They're like, "Hey, did you see that? Take a note down. Like he went off over there, and like you know, give me the updates on the FAA and stuff like that." It's like, bro, like. Drive the car. <laughs> like, how are you talking? How are you just chilling? So, I mean, but, that's what that's what happens when you've been racing since you were fucking ten years, five years old. You know, yeah. you just it becomes a second nature thing. And they're the best drivers in the world. There's, there. I I want to see that in in the most absolute pristine light that I can. You know, yeah. I don't want it to be degraded with stupid team radio radio messages being like, Hey, did you see him? Did he go off track? Did you see that? Make a note, you know, like it's just, it really does turn it into a rated PG 13 kind of film for me. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's just my thoughts on that, but let's look into our winners, losers in our hot seats. Who do you have for your winners this week, Chris? Um, I'm going to go a little off, off the typical path here. I'm going to say my big winner for this week is the sprint race. Um, the sprint race this week was actually really kind of exciting to watch it, all from down to lap one to the end. There was tons of overtakes. It was a wet track that dried out at the end. So there was a lot of changeover, a lot of overtakes, a lot of, uh, you know, crazy instances because of the wet track, you know, Sergio and Max almost collided big pileup. Uh, Lando went into anti-stall in the first turn and lost like four or five places. And um, it was exciting. There was lots of overtakes in the wet track dried up some people went off into some people didn't there's a lot of overtakes due to that and i just thought it was actually exciting to watch but the the reverse side of that is that once the race happened when we were you know prepping for this i was like oh yeah i forgot it was a sprint weekend so there's still something missing there in terms of uh you know in the moment it was exciting it was so happy to watch it and i was like finally a great sprint race but after the race was over it was like completely out of my mind and irrelevant to the weekend. So I definitely think there's still some work to be done with it. But overall, I was super happy to have a sprint race. And then the other winner I have for the week is, you know, Sergio. Sergio had that great race, terrible qualifying, but was able to sort of take it from P15 
onto the podium. He's back to form. So I think he should be, you know, excited about that kind of, uh, you know, result and looking to going forward of continuing to make some podiums. Ultimately, I don't know if that extends his contract or career with Red Bull, even if he does perform, but we'll see. Yeah, you? I think yeah, I think having the sprint this weekend, it was a it was a different sprint than I've seen in other you know in past. And but I think you you hit a really good point. It's something that I really did forget about as soon as the the real race started, and 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 I had to just kind of switch gears. It also left me thinking like, hey, was was that it? Like, you know, it's such a short race, it's twenty laps. It, it does leave you thinking that you only saw the first part of a movie, you know. Yeah. So so in that sense, I, I totally understand what, what you mean, and there's like a, a bit of a disconnect um a disconnect there but I, I would say my my winners for this week are, are you know charles you know he held p1 from from laps 25 to 35 uh he you know then he just didn't defend the inside against max and locked up so max was able to overtake i was expecting that to happen but to at least see charles come in at p1 shows that you know the that he has pace um the car has pace now they just need to tune some things up uh to to make sure they can keep at least fighting for p2 p3 i don't think they have enough pace to catch up to max just outright but you know all signs are kind of pointing up and i hope that this is something that they can kind of keep up just for the driver's sake in the next couple of weeks uh ferrari itself you know i think they did uh you know despite the the communication or the miscommunications with their drivers i think uh you know carlos and charles both put in really good drives this week uh and 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 collected some good points for the constructors cup um lando uh you know he finished p4 uh, he's historically have been really this has been a great track for him um uh, you know as much as uh, i i'm not the biggest lando fan it's it's good to see someone you know kind of master uh, certain race tracks and just be really good at them Checo, uh, I'll put up there as well. Granted, he put himself in a bit of a hole in qualifying. He was able to kind of dig himself out of it and get into P3, like we mentioned earlier, an incredible race. Uh, so yeah, I think that rounds out my winners for the week. Um, losers for this week, Chris. Um, I, I put Mercedes in there. You know, they they didn't have pace. You, you saw the McLaren and in Lando's hand kind of overtake Lewis on multiple occasions. George really wasn't able to, you know, make any kind of position or or in way into the top four for for a long period of time. You know, they 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 netted out at seventh and eighth, so a really tough week for them. Um, and and we'll see if if the if the upgrades is is something that that's just gonna is better suited for for Silverstone and 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 other tracks. And this track just wasn't it. Um, Haas, you know. Uh, Magnuson came in P20 and, and Hulkenberg didn't even finish and he had such a promising start to to sprint weekend and to qualifying you know it's just tough to keep seeing them uh with the bat you know the kind of bag just falls out from under them uh also would put Piastri there the just the delta between him at P16 and Lando and P4 was really jarring to see I think that you know even though this is his rookie year with those upgrades that we saw with McLaren uh, I feel like he should have been at least in that P13, P11 area. Uh, and then Ocon, like you mentioned, you know, 35 seconds of penalties uh, came in behind Logan Sargent. You know, it's just inexcusable there. But I also think, you know, the dis miscommunication between his engineers and himself uh, probably also uh, fueled um, 
field a tough week for for Esteban. Who are your losers, Chris? Yeah. Uh, so quick note on Piastri. So I think uh, Lando was actually the only one to have the upgrades this week. I think I think Zach Brown said that on track uh, on the track walk. So well, I'm gonna give Piastri a little. I was gonna. I was also gonna put him up on the losers, but I'm gonna give him a week to prove himself if he gets the upgrades um at the next race so that way we can you know see where he's actually really at but um my loser this week is not really a loser it's i put aston martin on there only because they've had such a dominant presence from now and this weekend they did not have a terrible race but i think there's signs of other teams uh upgrades starting to perform you know ferrari's got a better car now mclaren looks like they have a better car incoming Mercedes have shown some promise uh, from race to race. And, you know, I think if Aston Martin doesn't follow suit and continue to upgrade the car and, and figure out what exactly where their pain points might be, they might find themselves, you know, in that fifth, sixth to 10th, you know, spot for the future races if other people are performing. So now that, you know, Aston Martin had that huge leap at the start of the season, but now that other teams are figuring it out, they, you know, they may not be as dominant. We even you know Stroll had a good race today. Started you know P or he had a good sprint and a race. Um, you know where did he start in the in the race? Like let's, he started um, ninth. It was but he ended P four, um, and so that was a good result for him. And yeah, he started oh, he started eighth and he ended fourth. So you know ultimately they had a decent race, but they just weren't fighting for the podium. They were never in that conversation. So I think that they need to sort of look back and hope that they also have future upgrades coming so they can continue to push to the front, especially someone like Fernando to lock up that P2 or P3 and the driver's championship. Yeah, um, uh, I think great points. Uh, and, and and again, it shows, it really illustrates development and the development cycle for someone who might just be starting to appreciate that piece of uh f1 after you know watching it for a few years you start understanding that it is a you know engineer-based competition yep. uh, like much like how matt uh you know uh, sam mentioned uh last last week on, on our episode uh but yeah the the, the engineering pieces for mclaren are, seem to be coming together um it's hard to tell since lando is historically just really good at, at the red bull ring uh so we'll see in the next couple of races how that performance comes up you know mercedes it's hard to tell if they're teetering tottering you know between good and better or you know taking a stutter step back so it's all things that that are going to matriculate as we go into uh the next couple of races uh and and who knows maybe alpine has has a push in them to 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 bridge that front or mid mid-pack together even closer so uh i know they're under some pressure to to perform more uh from lauren rossi so i think that this will be a really interesting uh mid-pack um uh competition we'll see in the next couple of races yep and it seems like for hot seat we're we're uh we're on the same page let's talk about it chris alpha tori yeah what are, what are you thinking yeah just <clears throat> like obviously we've both have uh, our opinions on Nick DeVries and he's just been super underperforming. It's been kind of at the back of the pack every race. He almost reminds me of a Mazepin, which is so awkward considering he is a champion in a different series and just to be constantly in the back of the pack. Um, but yeah, both Yuki and DeVries had a kind of a really bad race penalties across the board. And uh, you know, Yuki went off track 
um, had some damage on his wing and just ultimately just all around bad race. I know they have some future planned changes. I think they're going to do a name change next year and make some, some leadership changes. Uh, but for me, they at the moment they're in a hot seat. Something needs to change. Yeah. You know, Yuki just in the, in until lap one, he was off track already, you know, putting yep. himself at a dis- disadvantage. He, break really deep into into I think turn two or three and was already out of contention you know Nick uh drove uh um Kevin Magnuson off track and that wasn't a good look it's just these compounding you know uh mistakes that they're making now and I thought Yuki was was you know uh beyond it but I guess he still has a lot of uh development left to do you know the when you think about the driver two position for Red Bull and, you know, Checo seems like he has a pretty sturdy hand on it at the moment, but it's still a volatile seat. And you consider, you know, them talking about Danny Ricardo and then the praises that, that Christian Horner saying about uh, Alex Albon after last week's race um, and, and, you know, potentially eyeing him to come back to the Red Bull family. And then you have Yuki, who you know who's another person to consider it's it's when you put it through that lens i think yuki's making less of a case for himself to be that d2 driver for red bull so you know when i think about it like that i think this was a really rough race for yuki i think he had a lot of opportunity to to show something to maybe begin to p9 given all the track limits that everyone was incurring if he would have just kept a steady drive going instead of being so heavy handed or heavy footed. Uh, I think he could have, I think he could have been in points today. Uh, I don't think Nick DeVries will ever get a point as long as he lives uh, in F1. Uh, and and today just proved, or this week just proved that a little bit more. So yeah, I think Alpha Torre, they're, they're, this is not going to be the team that they go, go into next year with. Um, I'd be surprised if Nick DeVries keeps his job to the rest of this year, given how Daniel Ricardo is kind of, you know, in in the realm of possibilities to come in as, as the as the backup driver for for Alpha Tori. Um yeah, just just a shit show for Alpha Tori this week. Yeah, I definitely think uh Nick's gonna lose his seat uh in the summer break uh, unless there's some contractual things, but I know that um Red Bull's kind of given him uh not Horner, um Mark Helmet Marco has given him kind of a four race warning. And two of those races have gone by, and he's done nothing but, um, you know, underperform. He, you know, in both the sprint and in the race, he finished behind where he qualified. Um, I think both Yuki and Nick did. So just overall bad weekend for them. Like you said, I don't think they're going to go into the next year with the same lineup. I think Danny Rick is, if he's interested, is going to take that seat, see where he see where he is, and then we'll determine where he goes next year. But yeah. There definitely needs to be some changes. Like I don't, I know they don't have the best car on the grid, but you know they. Yuki's been fighting for points every race, and this weekend was just not that. Um, yeah, man. Let's uh, you know, we we've kind of ragged on you know Nick and Alfatari and these guys a lot, but um, if we go off track a little bit, we have kind of a somber topic to talk about. Um, we had another death. Um, in a formula series over the weekend uh, uh i am very upset if i mispronounce his name is D- delano van Toff. um he's only 18 years old at spa 
And uh, again, another another victim of the El Rouge to Radion uh, to the Kimmel Strait. Um, just kind of a dangerous situation. Uh, but a lot of people are talking about how this is more on the FIA than the drivers because these guys are just going full blast in no visibility conditions. Same thing happened with um, uh, Antoine Hubert, although it wasn't wet on that track. And then it almost happened to Lando when he had that big shunt off Spa. And uh, why am I forgetting his name? The the coolest guy in F1 history, Sebastian Vettel, um, you know, pulled up next to Lando, uh, made sure he was okay. But if, if Vettel had been right behind him, he could have easily smacked right into Lando and ended his life as well. So, you know, it's just kind of really unfortunate. Um, this sport is very dangerous, but, you know, having an 18-year-old lose their life on track uh, in a situation that is most likely preventable. Um, I don't know if you know this, but it was uh, it was the last lap of the race or the second to last lap of the race right after a safety car. And a lot of people are like, they should just never, they should just never have been gone back to racing uh, for one lap in super wet, no visibility conditions. Uh, but yeah, super unfortunate situation. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough to see. It's tough to hear. And, you know, prayers with his family. Um, Lance Stroll had commented on the same uh, turn and, and, and the FIA reconsidering it and the danger, the inherent dangers of it. Um, you know, the formula series uh, post 2010, post 2000 actually has had the highest count of deaths when you compare it to comparable sports, like, like IndyCar and NASCAR, um, which, you know, is probably inherent to the sport as well, just kind of given the speeds that they're going at and the structure of the car and, 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 the and, the, and, the, and uh, the tracks themselves but it it just goes to show you you know it's it's a dangerous sport um the guys that drive in it and and, and the women that, that drive in the in the women's series you know they are putting themselves in in the highest levels of danger kind of going into the sport and i think it's something that uh you know like the, like the halo came into effect and essentially saved joe's life last year so th- there's a lot of I'd hate to say that there's not uh, development happening on that front and innovating safety uh, that later gets put into commercial regular cars that we use. So I guess this is the tip of the spear where that happens. Um, and and some people can chalk it up to, you know, just the nature of the game. Uh, but I think that there is room. Well, of course, there's room for improvement in terms of safety. It's just going to be more of a step-by-step process when it comes to formula races, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it, it feels weird because every, every one of these deaths is both a free freak accident and definitely seems maybe a little preventable, especially, um, you know, the Jules Bianchi crash um, should never have been a tractor out on track. This one drivers were going way too fast in low visibility conditions under yellows and, uh, you know, questionable whether they should have been racing. So, you know, and this... do you remember, Chris? It was like, was it Japan last year, the year before, where it was heavy rain and there was a white like tractor out, like in the middle of the the race, and just I think George Russell or someone like just barely saw it and was able to call it in, uh, before like someone got seriously injured. And and yeah, you're right. Like it's like freak accidents. It's like you know you have cars going at 
200,000 miles or 200,000, 200 miles an hour. And you have so many different factors that, that you have to take into consideration. Any blind spot, you know, no pun intended is, 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 you know, is paramount to, to consider here. So, right. so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely something that it, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like I think the FI is not considering all deaths, you know, like a really important thing or, or you know, but if this were to happen in an American sport, like a purely American, like a NASCAR, if there's a death in NASCAR year or every other year or something like that, like the, there would be a problem. Like they would, the, the sport would probably have to shut down for like a year or so and, and reconsider how they're doing things and, and make things safer. Uh, but because it, it's a, it's a sport that's kind of international and there, there's a lot of, you know, stakeholders that, that have to be looked after, I don't know, maybe, maybe the deaths seem less significant. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but definitely something that I've been kind of picking up on is they're able to kind of wave these deaths away and, and just go on to the next race, business as usual. So I don't know. It, it's just, it's just something that, that I've noticed in my couple of years of starting to watch the race and, and having already seen two deaths, um, you know, it's, it's, um, um, it's definitely it's a sad it's a you know it's a sad consideration for this rate uh, for this sport so i'll leave it at that I, I you know i i hope it's something that they take a look at in terms of changing up the track and that that turn specifically um and yeah that's that's kind of all i have on uh, on, on that topic yeah just um the last thing i'll add is just you know the it feels like surreal because we, you know, we watch things like drive to survive and we get like really intimate with these drivers, personal lives. Um, and they're, they're so iconic. Like, like when Kobe died, like nobody thought guys like that could just die of freak accidents like that. And so like we, you know, we see Roman Grosjean get pulled from a fireball and we see crazy crashes happen in formula one and, you know, when Max hit the barrier at 51 G's and uh, when he, you know, Lewis bumped him off the track at Silverstone, like you just like think these or, or guys when are, Mick hit the wall, I think and his car split in half. And yeah, yeah at like, Jetta. you know, yeah. <clears throat> and he's still sort of he, without a scratch or when Gojon uh, <clears throat> Joe uh, flipped his car and slid down the track and went over the barriers. Yeah. And all these, all these guys have walked away from those accidents, no scratches and just kind of you know, went to the hospital, got a thumbs up and went home. And it's like, but, you know, they are vulnerable. And we, you know, these other series and accidents have proven that, you know, easily those accidents can go the wrong way. So hopefully the FAI does take, you know, a hard look at ways to start mitigating this stuff. Like as much as I love wet races, uh, when there's zero visibility, maybe it's just too dangerous um, to do stuff like that. So Hopefully we can figure it out. And, you know, unfortunately, just in like in real life, freak accidents can happen. But uh, hopefully we can do more to prevent the ones that are preventable, like like the tractor stuff we talked about where Gasly and I think Stroll, like they basically just ripped a new one to the FAA for allowing that to ever happen so close after that took Jules Bianchi's life. But, yeah, again, condolences to the family. Uh, super unfortunate, but hopefully we can move forward and, and not have this happen again. 
Um, but yeah, so off this, you know, the summer note, like we got uh, four races in July. Uh, we're only missing one weekend in the month, which is great. Uh, Silverstone is next. So like we talked about last, uh, just a few moments ago, like I think Silverstone is like a pure racing track, one of the ultimate and best that there is. So I think we'll get to see some true results of like where these upgrades are taking the teams, where they kind of should be. And hopefully we don't have a slew of penalties, but you know, I'm so I'm excited. Uh, and I want, you know, I want to see uh, some true racing at the front. I don't think anybody's touching Max, but if we just pretend like he's not there, we can, we, you know, we can look at everyone behind and, uh, and have a good race. Yeah. So it seems like our, our first two are, are the same. So we have, we both have Max and Lewis, uh, Max, you know, in a, in a league of his own right now, Lewis has been historically a good performer, um, on, um, at Silverstone, uh, home track for them. So, uh, I can definitely see Mercedes, both British drivers putting in some, some good points here. Um, P3, we have differences. Uh, I have Carlos Sainz just given, you know, he's also a strong performer and just kind of given his drive from this week, uh, hopefully this momentum carries into, into Silverstone. Um, I have Max Lewis and Carlos, uh, rounding out the top three. Yeah, I think that's a super solid prediction. Uh, Sainz is super, uh, good performance this weekend. Um, definitely possible for him to be on the podium. Uh, but you know, given the track, and I, I want to see uh, Aston Martin back at the top. I want to see Fernando uh, take his racecraft, which is going to be really important at, at at Silverstone, and get him back on the podium. But you know, if they aren't, I think that'll be even more telling and worrying for Aston Martin for for the rest of the season. But uh, I think it'll be a great race. I'm excited about it. I'm also excited we don't have a week off. So yeah, I'm super much looking forward to it. And um, you know, we're only a few days away. Only a few days away. Well, I'm looking forward to it, Chris. It's going to be a month full of racing, which is exciting for both of us and for for F1 fans uh, all around the world. We will be here right alongside you to keep you posted uh, on our thoughts on everything. Stay tuned for the next episode. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone.